Hello and welcome to Ask a Pastor. My name is Dan Shields. I'm part of the uh, worship staff here at Orchard Hill Church and I am joined by Dr. Terry Thomas from Geneva College who is also a uh, adjunct teacher here at Orchard Hill. Welcome Terry. Uh, good to be here. Good Thank to see you. you. I'm thrilled right. to be able to interview you. I'm sitting in for uh, Kurt Bjorklund today. He had to take off so I'm taking over his spot. Normally I'm over in that seat but today I'm over in this seat. And I'm glad to be with Dr. That's Terry the hot Thomas. Seat. Watch yourself. It is, it is warm <laughs> still. So, you know, I have to admit something to you, Terry. I, I yeah. don't know if I've ever told you this before, but uh, my wife, uh, a long time ago, she was, for some reason, I was thinking about a message of yours and I was thinking about how much I appreciate it. And my wife looked at me and she said, uh, I love you. And I looked and I, I was just thinking this uh, in my head as she said that. And I said, I love Dr. Terry Thomas. <laughs> It's the truth. It's the honest <laughs> truth. You can ask my wife about this. So anyhow, I'm glad to be here with Dr. Okay. Terry Thomas. Uh, good, good. So a little awkward, but no. hey, so we have a question here, and this question, uh, just to, to let you viewers know, uh, it's, it's about a page and a half long, so I'm going to sort of highlight what was said in this question. We're going to talk about some of these things. It was a very, very thoughtful question. I think the person yes. took the time to try to make the point what they were interested in. I did a good job. And it's very cogent in what they said and how they said it. Uh, I won't be able to ask all of it, but uh, let, me, let me walk through a couple of sections. I, I see this as a three-part question. Uh, and we're going to start with the first question, which uh, uh, Bill O'Reilly was talking about the Johnson Amendment and our ability as a church to speak into political issues and how far we should be able to speak. So, you know, a lot of churches, uh, they sort of have... Um, uh, some political biases that they try to sort of uh, portray a certain side of politics through uh, what they speak from the pulpit. There are some laws regarding that, and we'd like to talk a little bit about your thoughts on that and, you know, how far should a church be able to go in influencing politics and being a part of the political arena? And what's, what's the proper response for us in the church uh, speaking into the world of politics? Yeah, again, uh, I, I thought that that uh, little blog, little thing by uh, Bill O'Reilly, a helpful thing, you, you know, ideas about things you've not heard about. I'd never heard of the Johnson Amendment before mm -hmm. that. I, uh, and I, you know, I did a little study on it and so forth. And, I, and it is, what, what happened was that in 1954, uh, when uh, um, Lyndon Johnson was a senator from Texas, he uh, suggested an amendment to a tax bill, okay, that uh, prohibited a 501k, uh, you know, uh, uh, tax exempt non organizations, yeah. nonprofits, from endorsing or opposing particular political candidates or uh, laws, mm -hmm. you know, overtly, okay. Now, uh, two things. One is you should know is that it uh, when it came up and was added to the tax code, it was never, it was not discussed and there was no opposition to it. Hmm. <laughs> so it might have gone a little under the radar okay, at that point. Since then, there's been discussion and opposition of it, but it has never been repealed. It is part of the present tax code, this Johnson Amendment, uh, which again, I was not aware of that when I, before I, I heard about this. From the so what it says basically is there's a limit to what people can say from the pulpit. Uh, endorsing a political candidate or certain political views. Or opposing them. Or opposing them. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, now, here's, here's the little aside, in a sense, context. 1954, okay, so you might wonder what issues might have been in the forefront in Texas in sure. 1954 that made you want to do that. I'm thinking uh, civil rights issues, you know, 
Sure. Uh, I think it was about personal and systemic racism hmm. issues and perhaps maybe a way of trying to hold back a voice that was speaking for justice. Hmm. And, uh, and so you can see why people today might have opposition to something like that. They might say, hey, why do you want to quell the voice of people who want to speak you know, to, uh, to issues of, of justice and fairness and hmm. what's right and the way that, you know, uh, which I, I'm sympathetic to. You know? sure. um, so, uh, but on the other hand, uh, you'd have to say this. So, you know, one of the things is that these organizations uh, oftentimes are not uh, regulated in the same way as other organizations are. And so you could easily see how one-sided contributions, for instance, could manipulate institutions to, you know, to support or oppose a particular candidate mm. and could be overwhelming in, in that sense. By the way, it's not just churches, it's all kinds of nonprofit organizations, you know, uh, protection for animals or whatever, mm. you know, this is the same organization. Well, so, well, let me ask you something though with that. So, you know, the, the church, obviously we are a moral institution. So there are certain morals that uh, the churches would hold to uh, and we're to speak the truth in love where is that distinction in the political realm then outside of the law? I mean, what would you see as being important for us to be able to, how do we speak to a culture uh, that might not be seeing things from our morals? Well, you gotta, you gotta remember that, you know, when the apostles were traveling around and the local authorities, uh, the king at that point, mm. told them to stop talking about what they were talking about, <clears throat> they said, hey, look, our primary responsibility is to God, you mm. know, and uh, we can't stop, you know, regardless of what the ramifications are gonna be for us, we can't stop saying what we need to say uh, to be able to do it. I, I, and I think Christians have a sense that, you know, uh, and, and Americans have a sense that freedom of speech is, a, is about that. You can't prohibit somebody from saying what they think is important and mm. speaking their conscience, you know, on those issues. And, uh, and again, I, I think you're right. I think the church has a responsibility at certain points to speak. For, now, do they need to speak on every single issue and every mm. single candidate and every, uh, probably not, you know, that, that's probably not the case. Uh, maybe we're, uh, maybe in the, in the clearest of cases, it might become, hey, by the way, no one has ever been brought up, there's never been any charges brought against anybody for the violation of the Johnson Amendment. Mm. So there's this, and, and President Trump recently has uh, said that he would try to abolish it if he could, you know. Mm. Uh, now, you know, you wonder, is that a, again, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, do you want nonprofit institutions that aren't regulated as to where all the money comes from and so forth to become, in a sense, super PACs for yes. particular points of view? because I'm sure we could come up with one that somebody would say, well, not that one, yes, or not that one, you know? Um, so uh, that, that, that's an issue. I think, you know, on the one hand, I, I'd say, hey, we wanna s speak freely and with conscience and have the liberty to be able to do it. On the other hand, I'm not so sure that we want to become, a, a, the, 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 the point of the church is to be political at that point. Yes. Here's the second thing I'd say. We live in a highly polarized, political culture right now mm. in America, you know? And, uh, you know, we, it, it seems like to some degree we can hardly get anything done in, uh, in Congress or through the government to some degree because they, people can't agree. Two opposite sides tend to be diametrically opposed to each other. 
and they tend to be moving further away. Right, right. And in their discussion of it, the rhetoric is so uh, volatile. Yeah, so volatile, yeah, so vol yeah. inflammatory yes. it, that that it seems like you almost feel hopeless that you right. could ever come to. And, and I, I heard somebody once say, you know, uh, the opposite of pro is con, and so the opposite of progress would be. Congress. Congress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, but you know, it, it, you you think, hey, the, the, it's it's not that we we want to simply say we want bipartisan thing. We want justice for people. We want yes. correct decisions to be made. Well, you know, uh, if one group holds it and the other, oh, okay, well then the one that we think is right, you know, we're before that, you know, whichever one it is. Well, let, know, let me point. push into that for a second because you know we have gotten into uh, not only a polarization of parties that seem to hold more extreme views on either side and, and sort of the extreme voices have become the loudest voices and the median voices are a lot quieter. They're not as interesting for uh, people in the media, I yeah. think. But uh, there, there's a number of reasons for that happening, I think. But one question is, you know, uh, in Christianity today, there seems to be a strong alignment with the church with a particular political party. Now, it has not always been that party, incidentally, if you look historically at the church, but, but that's the case yeah. today. Do you think there's any dangers of the alignment of political party with uh, the church itself? Oh, n no question about it. You know, uh, that I I in either way, you know, yes. in the sense, he says, whatever party it is at that point. Because, the, as you said earlier, the church's job is to have a voice that we think is about accountability and moral authority and justice and so forth. So the implication would be that if this, this institution is on your side, you must be right. Yes. You know, and I think that's a that's a dangerous situation to simply yeah. say simply because these institutions on your side, you're right. Well, Martin Luther made some real distinctions about the church and the state and the state being able to wield uh, the sword and be the arm of protection for the people. But the the primary job of the church really is to present Jesus Christ uh, and redemption and what the story of redemption really is. Uh, and when there's an intermixing, he felt like things could uh, really get ugly and volatile very oh, fast. Yeah, uh, the you know him being in Germany, that's there's the case. There's the yes. you, you have that the rise of Nazism in a certain sense, and the if nothing else, the default of approval of the church yes. to be able to do it. You know, and so you have very few people like um, uh, Life Together guy. What's his name? Uh, Bonhoeffer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, who were in a certain sense brave enough to speak out against that and yeah. you see what happened to them. You know, yes. they become they become uh, a target of oppression sure. from the regime uh, yes. because they counter the, the typical message. And, and again, the, the church there looked very different and looks currently very different because it was a state-run church. So right. the state-run church had a head that was appointed by the government. In this case, it was the Nazi government and Hitler was smart enough to put a Nazi in over them. Mm. Um, so, you know, he essentially took over and usurped the authority right. of the church. So even Rome uh, didn't quite have the authority over some of their people that, uh, that they felt an allegiance to this guy right. that they'd put in power. Here's the other thing I'd say, you know, that the, the, in spite of the fact that we have this polarization and everybody seems to think that the issues are black and white, uh, I, I think that the issues of public justice are very complex. Mm -hmm. Very, very complex, and they're not getting any easier. They're getting more complex, you yeah. know. And so I would say it, it's probably, you know, for Christians, okay, I would say that their responsibility is to be good citizens, 
and to uh, support and, and develop a perspective about what public life, just public life ought to look like, I'm just not so sure that they need to have the church be the one that's yeah. trying to work out the subtle details of that. You know, I think of an organization I, I support, the Center for Public Justice in mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. And it's a, you know, it's an evangelical think tank, so to speak, uh, of Christians trying to figure out what does justice look like around the issues that are being discussed present day. So, and, you know, they, they're not right wing, left wing, you know, mm -hmm. kind of a thing. They are trying to say, hey, look, let's, let's look, do our due diligence on seeing some of the complexity of these things mm. and see where, as we're moving forward, um, you know, what best seems to support that in terms of public policy. The, the dilemma is, is that e even when that happens, you don't, you're, you aren't guaranteed some sort of perfect public policy. Sure. You know? So you could say, well, we're, we're doing that, but we're not getting what we want always yeah. from it. Yeah, that's, that's life right there. You can do, do what you think is the right thing and it doesn't always turn out the way you, you want. But I, I do think Christians have that responsibility. And this is what yes. I think is really great about this person's question, yes. is that they have the responsibility to, to try to determine what does the kingdom of God mean to political life in the world? And how, how should we be involved in that faithfully as Christians? And, and I think it's an important uh, point that you make. You know, I, I often say, um, if you look through the glasses of politics and you view your religion through politics, you will get a twisted view of what Christianity really is. If you look first through the word of God in those glasses, and then you look at the world of politics, first of all, you'll see things on both sides of the fence that, that would agree and disagree with uh, the word of God. Right. And you realize that um, we're Christians first who serve our ultimate king, not just the king of this earth. Uh, first and foremost. All right, well, let me jump into the second okay. question because we spent some time on that. Um, so uh, this guy is gonna be asking, uh, he's gonna be asking about redistribution of wealth and how we should view uh, our tax structure and uh, the sort of chasm of difference between the, the very wealthy and the very poor and how we should look as a country. Should we look uh, as we've looked for years, or should that begin to change as this country changes? Let me, let me read a, a part of this question. He had a couple of pages of question, but he said, a significant political message being presented by almost 100% of uh, one of the party's major political candidates proclaims that everyone should receive everything at no cost, be it free medical care, free housing, free tuition, free border access, and free accountability, accountability from human moral responsibility and all other free rides which I could list. So what gives with respect to how our Christian faith views this development and does the Christian message subscribe to a precept that everyone deserves everything by definition because we're all God's children? So how would you tackle that? <laughs> what, what, would you, what would you say? You know, the, and the basic idea is this, that, that there are some who say, shouldn't we all uh, enjoy the, the um, monetary benefits of the society that we're in. There shouldn't be poor, there shouldn't be people who are in need because there's people who are very wealthy and shouldn't we be able to distribute that and share it? And that's a common uh, message that we hear uh, today in some political arenas. Yeah, and, and his description of it is the description of the way in which the dialogue's been polarized. Yes. You can see it's the Free everything versus you know personal accountability, or right. something, you know, and that's the way it appears. And by yes. the way, I think that's the way people play it. Even the, the politicians play it because they think it's easier to sell somebody on that, or you know, as you said, it's better entertainment to, to sell it that way. <laughs> right. Um, 
Well, here, here's a couple things. One is, I would say we, um, uh, you know, we were talking about that quote by, by uh, Winston Churchill that, you know, democracy was the, uh, you know, worst type of government except for all the rest. And someone else asked, could you say the same thing about capitalism? Right. You know, and, and that might be the case. It, you know, if you really were trying to say, hey, we should have a communist, you know, not just socialist, but move beyond that to, in a certain sense, from each according to his ability to each according to his need, mm -hmm. total redistribution of wealth. Right? Yes. Well, that experiment has already failed. Sure. <laughs> you know? So you don't need to know whether that was, that's a good idea. Yeah, we had 80 years of that experiment. We, and so. it did not go well. It right. did not go, and, but now you see, in a certain sense, in the very place where it didn't go well, they have, to some degree, modified it in a more free market of it. It doesn't seem to be going real well there. There's a lot of brokenness and mm. a lot of, you know, stuff going on there that you wouldn't want. Um, I think that what, you know, what we're talking about is we're talking about people being responsible, hmm. but at the same time, uh, recognizing that there are great needs of people in the world that you want to address. If you're just going to focus it on that issue about giving people things, you know, if hmm. it's just about taking care of people who don't have. Now, should, they, should people be held responsible to some degree for the things that they're giving? Sure, you know. Uh, you know in the New Testament when people, um, when people weren't working because they decided that uh, Christ was gonna return the next day, people, you know, the apostle told them, hey, if they don't work, don't, don't let them eat. They don't eat, yeah. <laughs> um, He was trying to say, hey, right. motivate them to take responsibility you know, in a right way for you know, what we're, where we're at right now and so mm -hmm. forth. And, and I, I think we can, we can demand that of people, that they be responsible. Yes. But the reality is that some people have great needs and we got to figure out how to meet those needs. That, as Christians, that's our job to love people. So let me ask you something. You know? So, you know, in the uh, Acts 2 church, for instance, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it said that uh, those who had wealth, if they had a field or something like that, if they saw people in need, they would sell what they had and they would share it with, with others. Right. So is that what our responsibility is? And to this question, as a society, is that what which we should do, not just with the church? Well, let's make the distinction between the church and the state. Okay. okay, the church and the state are two different things. Okay, uh, and in in the book of Acts, that idea of holding all things in common, of living in community, and by the way, we still we have today Christian communities mm. that live in that way, where they live in a place where they hold all things in common, and mm. you know there is no personal property, and you know that kind of thing. I I don't think that's a mandate of the Bible. I think it's an option, though. If mm. Christians decide that they want to live in that context. I think mm. it's legitimate for them to say, I want to live in that country. I don't think it's legitimate to demand that of the state, mm. you know, when you could say, well, what, why are we doing, well, they're doing that for another reason because of the church. They're mm. doing that, you know, it, they're, they're trying to show their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ in a way that is, you know, that is self-sacrificial mm. and meets, the, meets the, need, the demand of the need that they have and so forth. But I think the Bible's always leaned on that side, you know. I th you think back uh, in, uh, in, the, in the book of Leviticus, you know, that, uh, you know, one of the things about the, the in Leviticus 23, about the, the, f the fields being, reaping in the fields, they said, always leave, you know, the outside of the field un, un uh, you know, reaped or whatever you call it, yeah. you know. And the reason was because you needed to supply food for people who were in need. And by the way, when it says who's in need, it says the poor, 
the alien and the person who's like the temporary resident. Right, and we, you know? we have a really good example of that with the book of Ruth. I mean, when Ruth came back, uh, her mother-in-law lost her, her husband and the girls lost their husbands and they were basically women who were all alone in a very uh, uh, difficult society to be uh, a single woman in. And they went back to Israel and, and they were able to glean from those fields. You know, right. so I mean, you can see how that, that was a safety net for, uh, for people right. in that time. You know, it, it, and I would say this, I would say, hey, this, sure, the state has a, a certain responsibility to help meet people's needs, but at the same time, s the church has a responsibility too, to meet people's needs. What's, how's the church doing yeah. on that? And this is where I, I'm thrown back to the, in Leviticus 25 about the year of Jubilee, mm. you know, and canceling of debts and, you know, taking a couple of years off from growing stuff and so, and the, the Bible is honest enough to say, for God to say this, I know what you're thinking when I ask you to do these things. I know what you're thinking is you're thinking, hey, a brother's going to come to you who's, who needs some money, and you're going to say, hey, it's two years before the year of Jubilee where the debts are all going to be canceled. If I give money, I'm never going to get it back. Sure. You know? If your credit card company said this December we're going to cancel all debts, most people would run up their credit cards. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you're thinking, oh, man, this is unbelievable. I'm not. And so as a result, what does God say? He says, look, don't be tight-fisted. Don't be hard-hearted. Be open-handed. Love people the way that I've loved you in an unconditional way. That sounds very different than, you know, uh, make everybody earn their keep or they don't get what they, they need. Okay, so if yeah. I hear what you're saying, the church then should care for the poor and it should, in a sense, redistribute wealth if there are people who have and there are people who have not, the people who have should help out. How would this play then into us interacting with politics? Is that a right view for us to keep or in this day Well, here's what I would not? say. I would say as Christians, it's not, it's not simply the church that has to do it. You know, this is where the, this is where the individualistic notion of the gospel versus a kingdom perspective mm -hmm. makes a difference. When you realize that the kingdom perspective includes all various spheres of life and Christians are involved in these various spheres, all of them have to say, how do we take responsibility for justice in our sphere of life to be worked out? Mm -hmm. So I, in business, I might say, hey, I got to figure out how businesses can be reorganized in a way and how I can encourage new business entrepreneurially and so forth to provide poor people opportunities. I want to think of new ways to do education to be able to make sure that people aren't in, in some cycle of poverty. And so I want to figure out about how to do housing. So it's yes. not just the government. It's not just the church. It's Christians in all these different spheres of life. We don't have that right now. We don't have that kind of full-orbed uh, approach to things. Hey, by so, the way, back in the time of the year of Jubilee, and you, you mentioned this too when we were talking earlier, back in the time of the year of Jubilee where all these things were supposed to take place, uh, where you know, land got its rest and mm -hmm. <clears throat> people got debts forgiven and got re-enfranchised into the culture, uh, the, the people of God never once ever you know, observed the year of Jubilee, right. which makes you think, we're t we tend to be selfish, yeah. you know. What we need is we need God to come change our hearts. We need to yeah. have that, uh, you know, that tight-fisted hard-heartedness, you know, spoken to us about love and let us be able to, yes. you know, meet people's needs. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, uh, the Bible talks about a lot of moral issues and uh, a lot of times the church will tout those moral issues. But oftentimes in those same lists, you'll see greed as one of the moral issues that, uh, that's in there. So, well, that's a good word. Well, thank you, Dr. Terry Thomas, for uh, being a part of this episode of Ask a Pastor. As always, if you have any questions, uh, we would love to answer those questions. You can send them in on our website to Ask a Pastor, and we look forward to being with you next time.